going to read the word. It's 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, word of God. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks, Debbie. It's a full Sunday, and there is a full preach ahead of us, so just buckle in, would you? John is continuing to write to the churches that are in his care in his day to bring some blessed assuredness to the believers that they are truly walking with God. You ever wondered, like, am I doing this thing? Am I like a real Christian? Or, like, how's it going? Like, you get report cards on this thing? Like, John is helping us the church today answer those questions with the same kind of assuredness. He is giving us signs and tests to really know that we know we're with him. The beginning of this chapter, there were two signs, two kind of tests to point to our genuine faith. The first part of the second chapter of 1 John, love for God is a sign that you're really walking with him. It's a good, you're passing the test if you have True love for God in your heart. And true love for God means that you'll have true obedience to God's word. This is what Jesus said. If you love me, you're going to do what I command you to do. That's a good test to see if you're really following him. The other test that comes right after that is love for others. If you really are a Christian, you're going to love the people that you're sitting next to. Not just tolerate, but you're going to love them. You're going to prefer them. You're going to serve them. You're going to honor them. You're going to bless them. You're going to put them above yourself. This is an excellent test to know if you're really following Jesus. You guys doing okay? Well, here we go. Here's another test of our love. This one is just a little bit of a different angle. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Love is still supreme for John. He's still saying it's all about love, but be mindful who and what gets your love. Where does it flow? Love is still the greatest commodity in life, so invest it in the right places. The question, I believe, for us this morning to answer is, are you filled with love for the world or are you filled with love for the Father? Another good question to probably start with is, what in the world does John mean when he says the world? Do not love the world or the things in the world. So I want to start by just clarifying what I think John is not saying. I don't believe when John says, don't love the world, he's not talking about the place, and he's not talking about the people that fill the world. <laughs> he's not talking about the physical world, because John's actually in his letter fighting 
viciously against this idea and thought that's seeping into the church. We now call it Gnosticism, but the, essentially it's that matter doesn't matter. This place doesn't matter. It's actually evil. It's bad. Anything fleshly is bad. It's, it's, it's going to burn anyways. Don't even pay attention to it. All that matters is the spiritual. This is a problem because God made the world, and then he called it good. So that's a problem. The next problem, which is a big problem, is that God himself became matter. He wrapped himself in flesh and blood and then walked with us in Jesus. And Jesus is good. So we've got some major problems right out the gates. The Psalms always repeatedly talk about how the world, how nature declares the majesty of God. It worships. If you kept your mouth closed, don't worry. Mother Nature took care of your song this morning. It knew the worth and glory of God, and it is not stopped declaring it since you woke up, and it won't stop when you go to sleep. Romans 1.20 actually says that because of the world, we don't have excuse. We actually can see and know God just with that. The physical world isn't what John is warning about and saying don't have anything to do with that. He's also not saying the people of the world you should have nothing to do with. We know this because literally right before these few verses, John is commanding us to love people. We're to love one another. We're to serve one another. John 3.16 also poses a big problem if he's talking about people because God so loved the world that he sent his son to die that whoever the people that believe in him wouldn't perish but live forever. Jesus died for the people of the world. So this doesn't mean turn your back on the world, have nothing to do with society. Like hightail it for Tennessee, get off of the grid, start your homestead, turn your back on people and have nothing to do with those nasty little creatures. It can't mean this because Jesus didn't do this. And he's our model. We follow what he does. And Jesus was so in the mix. He was right in the middle of humanity. Right in the middle. He wasn't standing at a distance just observing, saying, that sucks for you. He's in the middle, so much so that he's called a friend of sinners. You don't get that title by just being an acquaintance. Jesus was so enveloped, so enthralled, so in it with us in this world, he was actually accused of being a drunkard and a sinner himself. You don't get that accusation unless you like to have a good time. Jesus is not saying, stay away from people, abandon ship, get out of here, head to the woods, head to the hills. He actually prayed the opposite for us. In John 17, 15 to 18, I pray you wouldn't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Learn to be in the world, but not of the world. We're actually called to be a part of this place. We're called to be a part of this city. Our voice matters in this place. We're called to be a part. We're called to love the people. But we are to have 
no part of this place and the ways of the people in us. The world that John is referring to is a system run by a spirit. The world is this. It's the world that has abandoned its creator and lives apart from his rule. This is the world that John is talking about. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is helpful for defining this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see that phrase, the course of this world. It kind of paints this picture of a rushing river, a river that has a force. This is where we find ourselves in the world. The world's not some stagnant cesspool that we're just kind of floating in like, ah, so terrible being here. That's not the world. The world is actually, there's a current that's flowing violently in a very specific direction. And that direction is disobedience. And that direction ultimately ends in death and separation from your creator. This is the flow of the world, if you go along with it. God's created the world and the people that fill it, and they're good. This was his design. But because of sin and its corruption, the world is now under the power and the ways and the system of Satan. And he is the one that's directing the course of this world. He's the one that's fueling the violent river flowing away from God. Just a couple chapters ahead in 1 John 5, 19, it says this. We know that we're children of God. And the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. The problem isn't a place and it isn't a people. This is not the issue. We're fighting the prince of this world. And we're fighting a spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. We're fighting the world that Satan is steering and coaching and directing and discipling to build his kingdom. Another way that uh, we could talk about Satan's way of running the world is worldliness. This is another word that we could use. And C.J. Mahaney has this great definition in his book of worldliness. It's a love for this fallen world, loving the values and pursuits of the world that stands opposed to God. More specifically, it is to gratify and exalt oneself to the exclusion of God. It rejects God's rule and replaces it with our own. This is the way of the world. And John is saying, do not give your love. Do not give your heart. Do not give your energy. Do not give your money. Do not give your devotion to the world that promises you everything if you would just reject Jesus and trust it and trust yourself. The ways of the world and Satan are constantly trying to disciple us and teach us their rhythm of life, their way of living. And often, if we go along with it, we will receive temporary reward. We actually could get success. We could get pleasure. We could get power if we play the game that the world is playing. But make no mistake, the end goal of our enemy 
is to lead us to a place where we see no need for God. So we reject his son. And ultimately, we will suffer the same wrath that is coming for him. Have nothing to do with the ways of this world and the one who's pulling the strings. John points out there's three main ways that Satan pulls on us. These are not the only ways, but they are three major ways. Our flesh, our eyes, and our pride. We are all susceptible to these things, and each one of us is in a war right now against them. It may look different for you, but we are all fighting against these things. Each one of them comes with its own kind of unique traps, and I think as well some unique tools to help fight against them. So I want to just go through those together this morning as we become hopefully sober to what's happening around us. The desire of the flesh, these desires have to do with our physical body. The word desire, actually, it can kind of have like a, like a positive tone to it, right? Like, I desire to be a better husband. I desire to be kind. I desire to be a better Christian. Another word that's used here often in this translation, I think it actually captures a better essence of what is being said, is lust. Lust of the flesh. And lust is an over-desire. You can have desires. It's natural to desire things. But sometimes those desires can have us. They control us, manipulate us. They, they, they move us forward. They compel us. They grab grab a hold of our hearts and our minds. We may naturally want to jump in this kind of desire of the flesh or lust of the flesh to like sexual desire or sexual temptation. And that is a part of it, but it's not just sex. It's food, it's drink, it's comfort, Ooh, yeah. it's control. There are natural desires. You need to eat. You have a desire, probably right now, of what you're just thinking. Like, what am, when he's done moving his mouth, what am I going to put in my mouth? I'd like him to be done moving his mouth so I could fill my mouth right now. We have a desire to eat. But, but what the word calls us to is not to be directed and led by our stomach. We are to be directed and led by the spirit. You have desires, and that is good. Pleasure isn't the problem. An over-desire for pleasure is the problem. The trap here is that it will make you happy. It will bring you peace or some kind of satisfaction if you just keep going. If I have one more beer, I'll get there. If you have one more cookie, you'll get there. If you have one more sexual experience, you'll get there. If you have one more nap, you'll finally get there to the place where you're trying to get, but everybody's ruining it for you. Pleasure is not the problem. God actually gave us sex. God gave us taste buds. God gave us the Sabbath for rest. God created the best things in life. But when we give our hearts to those things and not to God, then we fill ourselves with the love of the world. 
and the love of the Father cannot be in us. There's no room for it. So the tool to fight against this trap is self-denial. It's not sexy. The world will never teach you this move. Do not expect it to pop up on your, like, feed today. Self-denial, try that out. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. The world will actually tell you to pursue your desires at any cost, but the Spirit will say, pursue Jesus at any cost. Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If this is particularly like you know, woohoo, this is a well-worn path for you right here. This trap is very familiar. I also want to suggest that you would consider using the tool of fasting as a regular practice in your life. This is a well-worn path for me, and this is a tool that I have to use to fight against this. Fasting is purposely and regularly going without something physically to remind ourselves that we have a greater need spiritually. We don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that God says. This is what really fuels and feeds us. John Piper says, the weakness of our hunger for God is not because he's unsavory, but because we keep ourselves stuffed with other things. Or as another theologian says, Lori Riley, the more we eat at the table of the world, the less of an appetite we have for God. The desire for what satisfies our physical cravings and longings is in all of us. This is a natural line that Satan will use to get to your heart. He knows if you're here, and if you have a body, you are fighting this war. Or at least you should be fighting this war. Be aware. Do not just run from it, whatever it is. Run to God with it and ask him, how do I do this? The second line of defense for us, second awakening that I think John would want us to have is that desires of the eye is alive and well for all of us this morning. This is about a greedy gaze or a lustful look that actually begins to cultivate and breed a covetousness in us. Covetousness is saying like, I, I, not just like I want what you have, but I don't want you to have that. In fact, I want you to have something worse so that I feel better about my situation. We want what we don't have because we believe it will make us something that we aren't. Oh, I know. I see everybody who has this. And if I just had that, then I would be happy. I would be satisfied. The devil wants to steal our gaze with all kinds of shimmering things in this world. Because he knows the direct route to your heart is through those two little round things on your face. It's the quickest way down there. 
be careful, little eyes, what you see. The trap here is that it won't hurt just to look. But this is where everything got wonky for us. In the garden, in the very beginning with Eve, Genesis 3, 6, she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. What we fill up our vision with will direct our thoughts. We'll keep going again and again and again. The longer you stare at something, the more you begin to ponder, what would that be like? The more you ponder on something, the more it sinks into your heart, I must have this. And when it's there, these things and these things will follow. I can just scroll a little longer. It's not going to affect me. I'm just looking. I'm just relaxing. This helps me relax. I'm just going to scroll a little bit more. I could just take a double look at that guy. I could just take a double look at that girl. It's not hurting anybody. I'm just looking. It's not going to affect me. I'm not doing anything. I can just follow these influencers for inspiration. I, that's, it'll just stop right there. It won't drive me to jealousy. won't drive me to comparison. won't drive me to depression and anxiety. Because my house will never look like that pincers board for Christmas. I'm fine. I'll stop right there. It won't bother me at all. What you give your eyes to will eventually draw not just your attention but your devotion. Everything will start to flow. My dad is one of those drivers <laughs> where he drives where he looks, you know. It's like, oh, what's that over there? Oh, ah. It's scary. It's a little scary. But the reality is that we do the exact same thing every day we walk on this planet. What we stare at, we drift towards. The devil can get you to stare long enough at anything. And he absolutely has a chance to steal your love. I don't even know if he cares like what it goes to, as long as it's not the creator. The tool for this is worship. This is the same trick that the devil tried to play on Jesus in the desert when he was tempting him that he did with Eve in the garden. Matthew 4, 8 through 9, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all of these, all of these I'll give to you if you will fall down and what? Worship me. Jesus in response to the devil's visual assault and invitation, in verse 10 says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Worship begins with looking, and then it absolutely leads to serving. This is why our vision and value statement here at Radiant, it doesn't start with doing. It starts with beholding. We behold Jesus. This is it. This is our first move. And then we put his brilliance on display. We can't do anything without first seeing him, without first seeing clearly who he is. Everything else gets wonky. This is true for our worship. Don't just do things harder, like, all right, I'm going to delete that app. Yeah, I'm going to do these things. You might need to, but just don't start with doing. Start with worshiping. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. 
Look full in his wonderful face. And then what happens? The things of earth will grow strangely dim. Stop staring at worldly stuff and start staring, start filling up your vision with all of the good stuff that God has in this life. Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What? Are you giving yourself to? Because you will give yourself to that. The third member of the unholy trinity is the pride of life. In the ESV, the word life can actually uh, be translated to possessions. So this is the pride of your life's possessions, your life's work. This is an attitude of refusing to acknowledge or rely on God. And then instead choosing to boast in your own ability, your own accomplishments, your own work. This is pride in your livelihood, your possessions, your influence, your social status, what you know. Pride of life reeks of self-dependence, self-glorification, and self-confidence. The trap here is that I can make myself significant. And I can make myself worthy of love. If I just try hard enough, if I just do the right things, you will have to love me. Or at least you'll have to be envious of me and want to be like me. If you can make something of yourself, you'll prove to everyone that you're worthy of their love. This heart posture of pride, it can be really subtle. It would be really sneaky, and it is absolutely deadly because this is a heart posture that God directly opposes. He comes against this. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the tool here for us is generous giving and sacrificial serving. So this is more than just tithing. Tithing is giving 10% because this is what God asks for. But generous giving goes far beyond that. If you listen to the Old Testament and you're like, okay, 10%, yeah, okay, this little tax thing, this is good. Jesus is saying, that's just like a starting line. We're just getting warmed up here. What he's asking for is generous giving. What he's asking for is something far more costly. This is more than just serving in kids once a month. That's just what we do as a family. That's just that's how we roll here. This is actually sacrificial serving is something that costs you every day. And what it costs you is your convenience and your comfort. Two of your favorite commodities in life. This is what sacrificial serving comes at. Generous giving is good for others, obviously, but it's actually good for us. Proverbs eleven twenty four: one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous person will prosper. 
whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Picky and choosy serving. Yeah, I don't really want to do that. Yeah, this is fine. Yeah, it doesn't work on my schedule. That kind of serving leads to puny and underdeveloped love. Because it won't just be things that you don't want to do. It'll be people that you don't want to have anything to do with. It's too much. That neediness is too great. That brokenness is too much. I got my own stuff to worry about. Sacrificial serving is the only way to become great in the kingdom. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 20, 26 to 28, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. The devil will disciple you into holding and hoarding your life. You earned it. You worked so hard. None of these people know anything about the effort that you've put into it. And so, by golly, you better enjoy it while you can because it's not going to be around forever. This is the message that the world communicates to us. It's right to hold on to that. You did the overtime. You put in the effort. None of these other people did that. How dare they ask you for more money? How dare they ask you for more of your time? Do you know how costly your time is? The Holy Spirit shows up. And then he he disciples us to lose our life so that we could gain Christ. And he said that if we do that, we actually have eternal joy. Not momentary. 1 John 2.16 in the CEB says this, everything that is in the world the craving for whatever the body feels, the craving for whatever the eyes see, and the arrogant pride in one's possessions is not of the Father, but is of the world. When we fill our lives with the love for these things, the satisfaction of these things, the security of these things, we create no room for the true love of God to fill us. And John in his final kind of fatherly reminder in verse 17 says, P.S. The world is passing away along with its desires. I know they're super intense right now, but it's got an expiration date. Do you know what doesn't have an expiration date? Oh, whoever does the will of God will abide forever. All that the devil and the world have to offer us is temporary. Everything, everything the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit offers us has eternal value. It has momentary like sacrifice, but it has eternal value. Do not fall for the devil's lie that you can have your best worldly life now and your best heavenly life later. If you love the world... You forfeit the Father. Investing in the world and its ways that are fading is foolish. Wisely doing the will of God 
will have eternal reward and security for you. Matthew 6, 19, these are Jesus' words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. What has your heart today? What has your love today? This is where we're just going to sit for um, a few minutes. I know that there's been a lot that's been happening, but man, I think this is a needed moment to just sit and ask, what do you treasure most in this life? This is where your love will flow. It is flowing right now. You can like put on a facade of something, but underneath, what do you treasure most? What is it? I want us to just pause and ask the Holy Spirit this morning to bring attention to one of these areas. We're fighting on all fronts. We're all, we're all aware of this, very much so. But what is the one area right now where the Holy Spirit is just gently putting his arm around you and saying, I know. Let's do something about this. Is it the desires of the body? Do you want to feel something? Is this hunger growing insatiably in you? Is it the desires of the eye to have something, possess something that you don't right now? Is it the pride of life to be something? Let's just pause for a second and ask, Holy Spirit, want to take on with us today, Holy Spirit? What's sinking our ship without us knowing it? Where's the hook in our life today? Where are we being manipulated like a little puppet from the enemy in the world's ways? As you sit and as you ask and have a conversation with the Holy Spirit about these things, I just want to remind you <laughs> the exhortation that came right before these verses. 1 John 2, 12 to 14. Your sins are forgiven. You have the power to overcome sin. You can truly know Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. You don't have to just do things for him. You can live with him in communion. We're going to open up the tables to come and receive communion. There are four stations in the back. There's two, and then in the front there's two.
I want us to come to the table and I want us to receive. We do this almost every week that we gather together. It's not a tradition. It's a step of obedience. And it's actually a great joy and honor. <laughs> We're not alone. I know it's, it's like I felt so sober this week sitting with these things like, whoa, I, I know all this stuff is coming for me. I, I can feel the barbs in my heart here in this world just pulling in these directions constantly. But we are not powerless. And our power comes directly from the one who called us. So when we come to the table as believers, we remember him. Not our strategies, <laughs> not our game plan, but that he who is more than able, he who is seated on a throne, he who actually overturned sin and Satan and this world, he's the one who is working in us now. We have a partner. It's not on your shoulders. We are actually on his shoulders now. <laughs> and this is why we joyfully come to the table. I've got to make stuff up. Let's get to stay really close and do what he says. So would you stand to your feet? I'm going to pray and then we can come to the table and you're free to go whenever uh, you'd like. If you, if you want to pray, um, something really kind of stuck out to you or is bothering you, then love to pray with you this morning. Jesus, we just posture ourselves before you. Not before a teaching, not before ideas. We posture ourselves before you, the one who's able, the one who's capable, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We posture ourselves to you, the one who's seated above. Just ask right now, Holy Spirit, would there be a cutting free today? For those who just feel stuck and bound up, with desires of the flesh, would you come and cut loose the strings that are attached to their hearts? Would you come to those who feel bound up with desires of their eyes? It's just like, man, maybe I should just pluck these things out. Would you come and just snip free today their hearts from the enemy's grasp? Would you protect them from the evil one today? For those that just are sitting quietly in their pride like that sounds good but you should see what I could do would you come would you deliver our hearts from pride today would you resurrect us into true life Jesus we trust you Jesus we need you Holy Spirit would you come now and fill us fill us to overflow like, don't, just save us from introspection today. Oh, where am I off? Oh, what am I doing? Oh, how many times? Oh, what's my screen time? Oh, blah, 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 blah. Would you just overflow in us right now, Holy Spirit? Would your love just come and flow inside of us to the point where it just pushes out all of that other stuff? Right now, Holy Spirit, there's enough of you here on planet Earth right now to do that in each and every heart. Right now, would you come, Holy Spirit? Fill us to overflow in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, would you come to the table? Would you go get your kids afterwards? And um, Lee, maybe you could play some music um, or Joyce. And so it's not quiet in here.
because nobody wants quiet. Nobody wants that. Love you guys. Thanks for staying in it this morning.